Welcome to the third season of Pushing Pediatrics, the ultimate podcast for pediatric physical therapists studying for the pediatric board specialty exam. We remain dedicated to providing guidance and support to pediatric physical therapists looking to excel in their field. We understand the challenges you face while studying for and passing the certification exam, but with our expert guidance and unwavering support, we are confident that you can achieve your goals. So let's dive into this journey towards becoming a board certified pediatric physical therapist together. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Pediatrics. We really hope that everyone found the first episode helpful where we reviewed all of the things that you need to know kind of leading up to test day. We have a special guest here with us today, Cameron Brown. Cameron is a pediatric physical therapist based out of Los Angeles, California. She's worked for just over 10 years in peds, primarily an outpatient working with EI, school-based, and insurance-funded kiddos. She is a board-certified pediatric clinical specialist. She is an assistant at West Coast University teaching pediatrics, neuromuscular, and clinical skills courses. She's actually on the subcommittee with me for the APPT mentoring program through the APTA, which is how we met. And then we just found out that Sheila and Cameron know each other from the PCS prep course. We didn't had no idea. She's also the chairperson for the Southern California chapter of the National Association of Black Physical Therapists, which the acronym is NABPT. If you've seen them on Instagram, I know I follow them. And she is a mentor for their program as well. And we're really happy to have her on today. So welcome, Cameron. Thank you. I know it's kind of a mouthful. So I always just say NABPT is way easier than the long acronym. But yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to to talk all the details and the nitty gritty of this test and the process. Awesome. Yeah. When we logged on to Zoom, all of a sudden face recognition, a little bit of sound recognition, and Cameron and I were instantly transported back to our time together when we were studying for the PCS. And we both took the PCS prep course together. And then also that's the same prep course that I serve on the committee and now actually am part of the faculty on that course as well. So we'll remind you about that when that's coming up in January. So look out for that. Cameron, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congrats. I didn't know you were on the planning committee for the prep course. That's really cool. It was a very helpful class, which we'll get into. So I'm excited to know that, you know, a lot of people are involved over there. 
but yeah, sort of like Sarah already touched on, I've been working in PEDS my entire PT career. I um, got my DPT degree from University of St. Augustine in San Marcos, their um, San Diego campus. And that was in 2012. Two weeks later, I jumped into my first PEDS clinic and I haven't looked back. So my heart and soul and life has always been in pediatrics. All outpatient jobs that I've been doing so far, you know, in my career, but that has included, I'd say primarily EI, early intervention kiddos. So we do every clinic that I've worked at has done um, like a center-based, a group-based program, as well as individual services, which is sort of my happy place. I really like the the community, the team building, you know, that EI brings. But we've also contracted with school districts. We have insurance-funded kiddos. And I've dabbled a little bit in private pay, home health stuff now that I'm teaching full-time. And I came to West Coast University, where I'm an assistant professor. I came there um, actually as adjunct in 2020. Um, you know, Zoom University, everybody's favorite, but I joined <laughs> as sort of a, an adjunct instructor with online courses and and built up from there. So I've been teaching with West Coast for about two years now, full-time since the summer of 2021. And anything else about me other than, you know, teaching, you, you heard, you know, NABPT has been a really cool professional opportunity for me in terms of networking with local PTs around, you know, previously, and I'd only really known the people that I work with and sit next to. But through PCS studying through NABPT, I've really been fortunate to sort of expand my professional network. And I just started saying yes to more things. So that's how I met Sarah on our subcommittee for pediatrics mentorship program. And yeah, meeting Sheila in our study group. But otherwise at home, I have a five and a half year old. Today is his half birthday, five-year-old's those things matter. Five and a half year old at home. And I don't have much of a wild social life. It's, you know, TV hanging out, <laughs> going on a hike when we can outside. But yes, my my home life is pretty boring. So <laughs> that's me in a nutshell. Well, happy half birthday to your kiddo. I totally get that. <laughs> the half birthdays are a thing. Um, so Cameron, you come to us with a very unique experience on your journey to become a board certified clinical specialist, which I kind of know a little bit of a background in because you've you've talked about it with the mentoring program. But would you mind sharing a little bit of your experience for our listeners? Yes, I think, you know, the the perspective that I have kind of coming into this may be unique in the sense of taking the exam twice. So I did not pass the PCS exam the first time I took it. I'd been working for a few years. That was back in 2017. Uh, I retook the test again 2021 and passed it. Hooray, as you've all heard. <laughs> but I think having that sort of the two different experiences of taking it and really being able to reflect now on what was different has been so helpful to me. Um, you know, the first time around, I think like most people, a residency especially back in 2016, when I was signing up for it, there just weren't that many options. I wasn't really ready to relocate or move. And as appealing as it sounded, I just didn't think that was as realistic as, of an option for me. So I went the self-study route. I, I had a friend who I was working with and we said, okay, let's just do this. You know, why not? Let's, let's study together. We'll just, you know, take that giant Campbell book. We'll read it. We'll talk about it and we're good to go. Right. So the first time around, I kind of I did sort of assume that because I had been working for, at that point, about four years or so, you know, full-time in peds, and I said, okay, I, I have a good, solid understanding. I do think I am a specialist in this area, 
And I just kind of want to validate that with these letters. But you realize even me working in pediatrics, doing EI and school and insurance and kind of having a wide variety, in my opinion, of a caseload, there's just no way to like live all, <laughs> all the areas that are covered in that specialty. Um, so the studying piece, really, I wanted to use one as a way to sort of better serve my patients. I wanted to be you know, more up to date on the research. I really wanted to look into diagnoses that I didn't see as frequently and just really have a better understanding just for sake of being better at my job. But the second lens of it was I'd always been interested and curious about teaching as well. I loved having students. I was a clinical instructor for a long time, the site coordinator of ClinEd. And I just thought, okay, what do you really need to kind of get your foot in the door? And I knew a clinical specialization was one thing that they really look for. So that was kind of my motivation going in. But round one, it was sort of, okay, we'll read this book. <laughs> we'll check in. You know, you're working full time. So it's evenings and weekends for most people of, of when you can study. And I think my approach was maybe just a little more naive of sort of, I think like a lot of people in pediatrics, I'm a sort of lifetime overachiever and the person that kind of has to be good at everything. And I'm color coded and I'm organized. And <laughs> In general, taking tests wasn't like a huge option. I mean, nobody's going to say like, well, the board exam was a breeze, but I felt comfortable in sort of my approach to like, okay, I've, I've done standardized tests. I kind of know how this works. I, I have a system. It shouldn't be that big a deal. But really, there is so much outside of my sort of natural scope that we were covering. Um, and Sheila knows because she was in the study group with me. We really benefited from like, okay, there are people who do school-based full-time that have so much more understanding of certain, you know, aspects of that. There's inpatient care, oncology, pediatric wounds and burns and amputations, things that, you know, I may have seen here and there, but didn't have a solid understanding of. So really the studying piece was a little bit more than I thought that I had to cover, you know, initially, but I'd say, you know, the first time around we, my friend and I, sort of just made a general timeline. Okay, let's cover this type of stuff. We have this many months. Every weekend we'll get together, we'll we'll check in. And as much as the plan was solid, my actual execution of it, I don't think was as realistic and consistent. And so um, part of it was I did, I moved about 45, 50 minutes away, kind of in the middle of our studying. And that sort of did disrupt our ability to get together on the weekends and sort of hold each other accountable. That was our plan was we'll study and then we'll, you know, cover everything. We'll discuss, we'll go through it. And I realized consistently when we'd meet up, I'd be like, oh yeah, I didn't quite finish that chapter that we were supposed to cover today. Or I knew that I was always a little bit behind our schedule, just time-wise. I, when I moved, I added anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half commute to and from work. So I think realistically, I was more optimistic about my time that I had available to study. And you all know you're working with kids all day. You're pooped. You sit in a car then for another hour. It was like I'd get home and fall asleep reading, you know, my book. But even though I kind of knew I was a little behind on our study plan, I still thought, let's do this. I've got a good base. Like, I, I think I'll be OK. And I I do think the exam sort of just took me by surprise that that first year because that was the plan. Read Campbell talk it out, you'll be fine. And I think, you know, fast forward to the second time around, I, I took a much, much different approach. Um, I can't say I was 100% surprised when I realized I didn't pass it, but I was sort of like, oh, I was close, which did give me a little bit of faith in saying like, okay, I didn't completely miss the boat, but I just know I didn't have the time 
invested in it that I should have. And I probably didn't use all the resources available. When I found out I didn't pass it, I was actually already two months pregnant with my son. And I said, okay, you know, in my mind, I'm going, I'll just retake it next year. Let's keep the ball rolling while things are there. And I think that ideally would have been a better scenario to take it the next year. But I thought about it. I said, I'm going to have like an eight week old baby (laughs) when I'm studying. Like if, if, you know, being single and having very few responsibilities, I still was tired and couldn't find the time. I'm going, is that realistic to say, you know, with a newborn baby being sleep deprived and all these things, am I really going to have the time and energy? So I did make the decision to sort of pause it for the next year and say, let me figure out my life, you know, as a mom and with this new job, because when I moved, I then got a new job closer to home. Um, so I just kind of knew I needed to be settled and, and grounded <laughs> to be able to take this on again. So um, fast forward to everyone's favorite year, 2020. <laughs> and it was the first time where I actually had a little bit of pause in that day-to-day routine and rush and like, okay, go to work, pick the kid up from daycare, do this. You know, we're all kind of busy, busy. And I, I mean, I think other people can relate. I went from being a salaried employee to an hourly employee over the span of a weekend. And it was like, okay, you'll do telehealth and we'll pick up what hours we can, but we can't guarantee anything. And, you know, anyone who was doing peds telehealth knows it was very challenging for families. It was, you know, they're trying to do zoom school. They're doing speech online, you know, Um, So my hours dropped a lot. And I think I probably overcompensated feeling like I have, okay, I finally have time. What can I do? In real life, I didn't have time. I had a a two-year-old at home. (laughs) And I, you know, thankfully my my husband and I were able to sort of (laughs) take the lead with him, you know, in our off time. But it was finally when I had a little bit of a window to think, okay, do I have the capacity to add this in now? Um, I started a local chapter of the NABPT and I, <laughs> I kind of, I did, too, I started teaching <laughs> as well. Um, but I think the teaching part actually really, really helped because I was um, an assistant in the pediatrics course while I was studying. So that was really nice to be able to sort of go over this material in an educational setting as well. But I'd say the biggest difference for the second time around was not my approach of, okay, I'm going to make a study schedule. I had a new accountability partner, someone else who had worked with me before. And this time we realized we don't have to physically get together every weekend. Like Zoom is a thing and an option. You know, 2017, we thought, oh, we live far apart, so we can't get together that often. But now the options were a lot easier to really connect with people and and study in that way. And so I still had my uh, a friend that was studying with me where we'd discuss cases is keep each other sort of accountable. But this time around, I also added in the prep course from APTA, which was huge. And like I said, Sheila and I connected there. I was able to talk with people in other disciplines. And I I really appreciated the way that class is structured because it's not just more, here, go study this. Okay, here's an outline. Here's something to review. It was much more about applying that information and having cases and discussing things and not always having a clear-cut, correct answer, but what are all the things we're going to do to reason through that? So that was super helpful. I just am going to jump in and put a little bit of a plug because I really like what Cameron's talking about, where it's important to have people of other disciplines, something to be thoughtful of, because this episode kind of comes out early in the process of studying is that if you log into the pediatrics APTA page and you go to their forums website, that's where Cameron, I don't know, did you do any of the little Zoom online things before that that PCS prep course where 
we could log in and there was kind of the PCS prep committee and they were just doing some like informative sessions. They, were, they weren't they weren't real robust test wise. They were more just this is kind of what you should do. These are some ways to some study tricks, things like that. Did you do any of those? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So with that too, that whole PCS prep committee also will help people create study groups. So early on in the testing process, if people are interested in having a study group, they can give their information to the PCS prep committee. And then what we do is we go in and we make a spreadsheet and we take everybody's discipline specifics that they are practicing in. So if you're primarily practicing in a hospital, then they'll put that down. And then we kind of move everything around and we create groups of four or five based on that information, as well as time zones and things like that, to make sure that people are getting a diverse group of people within their study group. Sarah and I were super lucky, like we kind of got that on our own and we didn't even try, like that wasn't even on our radar when we created our study it group. It was almost a complete accident. We just yeah. all found each other on Facebook and it ended up working out. Like literally our group yeah. was someone in EI, someone in outpatient, someone in school, and then someone who kind of did it all. So our group was very lucky. However, we didn't think about that. And so going back, like, thank goodness we were lucky. But I think that that's something to be thoughtful of is sometimes when we're creating study groups, we're thinking, when are people available? What time zone are you in? Which, yes, is also important, but also thinking about making sure that you have people that are experts. Because I will tell you, the school stuff challenged me so deeply because I just didn't I had never experienced it. It still challenges me, even when we reiterate it to you. So I, I just wanted to put that plug in early on because I know sometimes the creation of a study group is hard or people are trying to find ones and it's not working. And the PCS prep committee is going to be putting out information and will hopefully help people create that a little bit for sure. But uh, going off of that, that doesn't mean necessarily that you should wait until you have your study group formed to start studying. That's another aspect of it. Like Sheila and I were very lucky that we formed our group by August, I feel like, of the year we were studying. Whereas, you know, if you not that the PCS prep course would get you in with a study group late, but it would be later than that August time, most likely, Definitely. if that makes sense. So. Just make sure that you're still like doing what works for you in the beginning. Like when we started with our study group, we, you know, everybody kind of did their own thing, but we kind of assigned people jobs. We didn't really start meeting until November. Just to plug that in there. Yeah. yeah if too. you haven't gotten a study group yet, you are not too late. There is no. plenty of people that haven't, but think about all of the components of that study group because that is true. Like the PCS prep course, again, we kind of, we group people even in that course by their own disciplines at that time. So when we know who's registered for the course, this one is the paid course that happens in January. We also assign groups within that 
of people in their different disciplines within pediatrics. So we are thoughtful about that process. But January is probably a little late for you to be getting a wide lens of pediatric practice. So making sure that you kind of have some diversity within your study group will definitely be helpful. And if you don't seek out those resources, recognize where you maybe are lacking in the diversity piece of things and seek those out and make sure that you're really trying to find maybe someone that'll come talk to you or do something to make sure that you're getting that wide lens because it really is all covered. Yeah. And kind of like you said, that school base was very challenging. Like inpatient was sort of my Everest where I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't have this immediate sort of no cases I can call back in my mind or something that I can kind of anchor myself in of, I know this much, so I'll build from there. Right. And I think I kind of looked at it in my mind. I labeled them almost differently to my, my friend that I was studying with and reviewing. We were sort of accountability partners. We worked together. So our experience was very similar. We had very similar caseloads and very similar clinics and like our experience was very similar. So we didn't necessarily bring anything there, but she was somebody that, that I knew, you know, as a friend that was like, okay, let's just be realistic about what's going on. What do we need to do? Just that accountability. Again, am I keeping up with the plan that we set for ourselves? And what I really appreciated about the study groups round two, when I finally sought out the resources and not just, hey, me and my friend are going to talk about it, right, was the ability. And this is why the January timeline actually worked very well for that um, prep course is because then after I had done some of that background studying that's sort of on your own, okay, what is this diagnosis? Let me make sure I know all the, you know, contraindications, any special thing, you know, kind of getting background on pathologies and and specific um, diagnoses. Then as a group, we could go discuss it like in the application piece. And I really think that's the biggest difference from sort of round one of the exam to round two was the first time around it was, okay, learn all this stuff and remember it. The round two, I think my, my focus was so much more about how do you apply that and doing practice exams. So I, I also did the um, PCS Advantage um, program because I mostly wanted practice tests. I know there are a lot of things out there that do offer study guides and tables and things like that. So much for me, the value is making it myself. So I didn't necessarily want to sign up just so it was like, oh, well, I don't have to read about that. I'll just use your study guide. I, I thought of it more as a supplement. Um, but the practice exams, and then again, getting together as a group and talking through cases, because so much of the questions are not, you know, a, a direct recall of facts, right? When you talk about, you know, the hierarchy of learning and things, it's all application and okay, there's, you have to know five different things in order to make your, you know, your decision on that exam. So I really think those were the biggest differences. It, I still went through Campbell. I definitely, this time around, I had a digital copy of the book. And I actually think one difference, once I was able to pause and kind of reflect a little, I think something that helped me a lot as well was looking at sort of how I was studying. Because a lot of people are like, I'm putting in all these hours and putting in so much work. And I go through this with my students as well when I'm advising them. It's not just a matter of time, but it's sort of, are you being efficient and and as productive as you can with that time? Because you may be spending a lot of hours, but is it actually getting you what you think you need? And so for me, the first time around, I did a lot of handwritten chapter summaries and I do, there is absolutely a, you know, kinesthetic portion to learning and you need to write things out, but it just was so time consuming to feel like I had to hand write every outline. Whereas the second time around, it was a newer edition of the book. 
before now the sixth edition is coming out. I was going for the fifth and I had a printed copy of the fourth, I think. But second time around, I did much more sort of just digital summaries. I would max out my copy paste options on the like ebook <laughs> piece of where we would go. But I did much more digital summaries. And then I would hand write certain flashcards or smaller things that I knew really only what I thought was super important. I think the first time around, it's sort of like your first week in school where you're taking notes on every single tiny detail. And this time around, I was more like, okay, what are the big picture concepts? What are the things that are going to pull together and really be relevant to clinical reasoning? You know, you may not need to know the exact percentage of the U.S. population that has this certain diagnosis, but focus more on, you know, okay, what are the, you know, what are some standardized tests that are appropriate for this population, right? But I started doing a more digital outline. And then I would hand write more flashcard things that I felt like I needed to actually write out or things that were a little bit more kind of, I had to commit to memory. I know flashcards don't necessarily work for everybody. I like my flashcard system because I would color code. I'm still visual learner. So like all my ortho cards were on blue and all my neuro ones are green. But what I liked is that as I felt comfortable with content, I could ditch it and not just keep this giant stack of cards. And as it got closer to the test, I could really focus on the few things that were sort of more challenging. But I really think that just made me much more efficient with my time. I still spent probably a similar amount of time. Well, second time around, I had more time that I was able to study, but but I felt like that time was being better spent and not just handwriting everything. We talk about this a lot too. You have to trust yourself when you know things. Like you said, like I ditched the card eventually. And it's like, yes, you need to say, I do know this information and I need to be done reviewing it. We talk about this a lot that it, sometimes we kind of gravitate towards studying the things we actually do know well and that we kind of gloss over the things that are really challenging us. Making sure that when you do know the information, let the flashcard go, put it away and be done with that and focus on things. And then I really liked it at the same time that I was studying for this. My husband was studying for his own board exam in a different field, but he told me something that I thought was really helpful at the time. And it was really try to think about the information on the flashcard. Sometimes I think why people don't like flashcards is they look at one side and then they flip it over. And it's, you have to try to recall the information. Give yourself a minute or two to, to dig it out of the depths of your brain and really try to recall the information because that's what you need to do on test day. You just need to give yourself that practice of recalling it. Study better. Absolutely. And something my husband and I were just talking about this the other day because he read an article that was all about the novice clinician versus the expert clinician. And this was more so talking about PT students. He runs a residency, so early people in their residency. The difference between a novice clinician and an expert clinician is a novice clinician, they've got all that background information like Cameron was talking about, right? She had all of that background information. But an expert clinician is able to apply that information without having to go through every single step of recalling that information. And really, this exam is to make you an expert in the field. And so the application of the information is really what is important. Um, so Cameron, could you sum up for our listeners your top few things that you changed going from yeah. exam one to exam yeah. two and what you've already talked about all of them, but just so our listeners yeah, kind of yeah. have a bullet point. I think the biggest difference was taking advantage of more 
resources and support. So a big part of that was actually using the Academy of Pediatrics resources. Taking the prep course that was in January was was big for me to synthesize and pull everything together, talk with other disciplines, but also doing more of actual practice questions. So the PCS Advantage helps me with that. I know a lot of people do MedBridge as well. Like there's other ways to go, but I I used more resources outside of just Campbell. And I think I was much more efficient with my study time and staying on a schedule and just being realistic with myself of what, what I was capable of and where I needed to focus. I think just like Sheila said, instead of sticking with the areas that I felt comfortable, I really tried to kind of focus in on those bigger areas that felt less immediately comfortable to me. And those were big. And the, the last thing that I used a lot actually with just my my one friend, my accountability partner, we did a lot of application on our own as well using the case files um, book as well. So I think just cases and not going information recall, but application. And that was yeah, practice questions, discussions with the group and doing those case files. Thanks for just all of the plugs for us. I am going to tell everyone to circle back to our Instagram page, click on our resources tab, and pretty much everything Cameron mentioned is right there for you with links to be able to grab all of that. And then also season two, we literally went through the entire case files book and kind of helped people break it down. So I like what you said about maybe saving that. Save that for later in your studying and then go back to season two and listen to those case studies. And then again, pause them. Think about yeah. the answers. Think about what you would do as a clinician. Think about a test question that could come from that and how you would come up with the answer. I think that that's a really great thing. And that's why I think the PCS prep course too is at a good time. Like you said, by January, you should be through a lot of information, not mm -hmm. saying you have to be through all of it, but you should be through a lot of information. And that's a time where you can start to pull it together because those test questions are hard. Those are going to challenge you. Some of them come with a lot of discussion and that's fine. That's what they should do because that is really what's making you an expert clinician is because you are digging hard to come up with the right answer. So I think all of that is really, really great feedback for people in their test process. And then I think the other thing I really liked about what you had said was execution. Sarah and I talk a lot about writing out a schedule and having a plan and sticking to it. And within that, scheduling breaks. Don't schedule yourself to death over Christmas. Make sure you're kind of putting all of this into perspective so you can study every single week, maybe most days a week for a year with breaks in there that help you rest and reset and recharge and gear you up. It's discipline. It's not motivation. You are not going to be motivated to study for a year. You have to be disciplined to do it. And just going off of one thing, what Sheila's saying, we're talking about self-study route, right? Because that's oh, the yeah. way that all three of us went through this experience. But if you're somebody who has gone through a residency or maybe is in residency right now, your residency finishes up somewhere between August and January. There are a lot of different cycles with residency. So for you listeners, if you are a resident, like a residency goer, if you've done a residency, 
your background information is all during your residency, right? Where you're gaining all of that information there. You're learning how to apply it from your mentors as you're going through the residency. So for you, really, that start of studying should be when your residency ends. If you need to take a little bit of time, like Sheila's saying, give yourself a break to kind of reset before you jump into full study process. But again, it's it's not necessarily going to be enough. There may be one-off person who can go through a residency and doesn't have to study anymore and just passes the test. And that's great for that person. But that's not the vast majority of people, right? You really need to make sure that you are putting in the time after that residency finishes, which I know certain ones will run January to January, for example. Perfect time to do that PCS prep course, you know, and start working on application of that information and continuing that studying on through. Just wanted to plug that in there because we're all, you know, coming from the self-study route. We can't forget about our people in the residencies. It was like the light bulb went off in my head too. As soon as you had said, you know, residency, a big part of the benefit of that is it's built in mentorship. So if you are going self-study route, the mentorship program is another way of just having one person who potentially has experience in a certain area. You know, they do similar matching where it's sort of, well, what are you looking for a mentor for? So I do think sometimes it feels like, oh gosh, I don't have time for all these things. But the mentorship program is so flexible to the actual pairing that if you're considering it, you just want someone to bounce an idea off of, or am I doing this right? Or I just need a confidence boost, you know, every now and then, right? Having something like that and actually signing up for the mentorship program can be another great way of having that accountability or someone with experience in a certain area that can sort of talk through those those cases and things with you. So another plug, I guess, for programs that we're all, you know, clearly passionate about and involved with, but I really do think if you don't have mentorship within your job or your life or on your own, absolutely come seek it out because they can pair you. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's something that everybody needs to to be thinking of is seeking out the resources. Yes. You've said it a million times. You really needed to look beyond just Campbell in order to make your second attempt at this a more successful attempt. And then I'm going to put on my mom hat a little bit yeah. here and say that I liked what Sarah said. Some people could probably come in and just read Campbell and pass the test or just do the residency and pass the test. Does that make you an expert? The whole thing that Sarah and I have talked about all last season is how it's the process. The process makes you an expert. You are being forced into discomfort figuring out things, maybe challenging some of your own treatment ideas, some of your own things that you thought were helpful that maybe now you're starting to be like, when I really look at this, the research isn't supporting that. So you're really becoming an expert throughout this process. At the end of the day, the test is 150 questions. There is no way it is going to even come close to matching the amount of information that you study. And I think that's why a lot of people leave the test a little bit frustrated because they feel like, oh my gosh, I had so much more knowledge in my head and this test just didn't test that. But it can't because it's only 150 questions. You have to look at this as the process of making you an expert. The test is a great validation. The test is a necessity to say, okay, but we're going to pull all of this random stuff. And if you really studied everything, you're going to pass, even though we're not going to test everything. But 
the process in and of itself is what made you the expert that you get to write at the back of your name. It's a lot of just giving context and rounding it out. And one thing that I think too, in the study process that kind of helped me, because you can't get worn down with there's, I'm never going to know everything. Right. But I think again, that novice versus, you know, experienced clinician and sort of the big picture of why we do this and how it betters us as clinicians and better serves uh, the population that we're working with is this idea of we're taking on that challenge of being a lifelong learner. It's it's kind of what I hear people go through with their PhD too. It's like you do all this school just to know how much you don't know, right? But it's approaching it with that mindset of I don't ever necessarily want to sit back and get comfortable. And now I'll say, great, I'm an expert. I know all there is to know. Whew, I'm done, right? This really sort of embeds. And for me, it brought me back sort of to APTA because, you know, dues are not cheap. California especially are not but it forced me to use all the resources that were there and realize like, oh my gosh, this is stuff I should be pulling from all the time. It's not study for this exam and then you're done. It's that approach of, I want to continually better myself and really be able to analyze what I'm doing and why. It's also why I love taking students because I can't really go into autopilot or just get too comfortable kind of doing the same thing because there's someone there that's going to say, well, why are you choosing to do that? Or what what if you tried it this way? Or, you know, there's people with the questions that I should be asking myself, you know, and I, I just really think going into it with that mindset too, of I'm here to make better decisions, you know, learn how to reason better and, and do all those things. Because now that I've taken it, I, I've probably challenged myself in more ways since becoming a quote unquote expert, right? I've been working so much more in how to expand my knowledge and how to continue to better myself. So I think that's a really good mindset to take on going into it. And just my little plug for keeping your confidence up. Part of it is actually when we talked about flashcards and you ditch it when you're done, anytime, especially as it gets close to an exam where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know everything. Oh my gosh, there's still these things that I'm not that comfortable with. And you focus on the bad. I look over at that stack of discarded, you know, flashcard and I go, wait, I know all the things in that car, you know, that stack, right? Like this is my yes pile is bigger than my no pile. There is a lot that I, you know, have that I can, you know, pull from this exam and just that, that confidence boost of you do know a lot, right? And there, there is a lot of value. And I think that really is kind of what brought me to the second exam. It's kind of easy to say, you know what, this thing is really hard. And I've, I've talked to people, I've known people that said, whoa, the PCS exam is no joke. It's really intense. I tried it once and I was like, no way after I failed. I think part of it, like I said, I, I didn't like completely bomb it. So that gave me some hope, but it was also one of those things of, no, I do have faith in myself. Like, I really do think I belong here. I do know what I'm doing. I, I can be this person. And so it was more sort of proving it to myself versus saying like, oh, this is, you know, really challenging. It's not worth it. it it's kind of that idea of, building that confidence. Yes, you belong in this space. Pediatrics is your zone. You're good at what you do. You have a lot to offer. And just trying to keep those sort of positive <laughs> affirmations in your mind will sort of help with that imposter syndrome and all the things that come up with trying to move up, you know, a level in your professional career. But I just, I want to plug that, that lifelong learner piece, because it really is the right headspace to go into this with. And aside from like the positive affirmations, which we talk about a lot as when it comes to just telling yourself that you're going to be an expert at the end of this, you're going to pass this exam. Did you have any strategies that you used after failing that first time to kind of get your mindset back to like, yeah. hey, you know, because it's it is discouraging. 
failure is discouraging oh, yeah. no matter what it is. So or did you have any strategies that you used to help get you back yeah. to that good mindset? It, especially for us chronic overachievers or like if anyone's familiar with the Enneagram, I am a three and an eight. It's a terrible combo, but you're just, you want to be in charge of everything and you have to achieve all the things, right? So it can really be kind of demoralizing. For me, it really was making sure I could accurately self-reflect. And this is something I talk to my students about a lot. I think everyone sort of thinks, well, yeah, I got to reflect and think back on it, but not everybody's really able to kind of look objectively at themselves. And it is, it was hard. I could have easily said, you know, well, it was bad timing and I moved and the night before I didn't get any sleep because X, Y, Z was going on. And, you know, there were all these external factors, but I think really taking a good look throughout your studying process. But for me, especially after the first time of that self-reflection, Hey, did I really put my best effort forward? Being able to kind of say what, should I have done better? And what did I do really well that I want to keep going forward with? And, and sometimes it takes another person to ask you those questions, but often we should be able to ask ourselves those questions. So for me, it really was being realistic and saying, Hey, I don't think this was all I could have, you know, given for this exam. I don't think this was my best foot forward. I realize where those gaps are. I showed up to too many meetings, having not completed the chapters that we were supposed to go on. I was lost in too many of our discussions discussions where I couldn't really contribute that well because I hadn't done the work to really be at that same level as my study partner, right? And and she passed that first time around. So I knew I was like, look, the the plan is there, but I have to look very realistically and deeply to myself and say, is this really kind of all that I've got to give? And I I knew that there was a lot more that I could do and I told myself, you know, after I figure out how to be a parent, it's I'm five and a half years in, I still don't know what I'm doing, but right. There's never a great time, but it was sort of just, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm open to meeting this challenge. Let's, let's just do it. <laughs> this is a good time to maybe suggest kind of some self-reflection. Like you had said each month, we're not saying that you have to not pass the exam to pass the exam, but that you should be, I think what what I'm hearing from you is checking in with yourself and saying, am I hitting my targets that I set out for myself? Or am I spending each month getting a little bit further behind because I'm not hitting my wickets? And I think that that's a really great tool of having people maybe schedule some time for some self-reflection. Did I hit all of my study goals? You know, I, I started off this process. I made this calendar. I said I was going to have X, Y, and Z done at the end of September and LMNOP done at the end of October. Am I there? Am I doing it? What do I need to change? Because I don't think it's too late to change and rethink early on, but nobody wants to get to February and feel like they have 13 chapters that they didn't study yet. So I think you really have to be real about this and execute the study plan. And if we're not executing the study plan, how do we kind of take a step back and say, what can I do differently here moving forward to get me to that finish line? Yeah. And I think sometimes it sounds like potentially over the top, or if you're like, it's not that big a deal, but I honestly think writing yourself goals, right? We're PTs. We know how to write goals long-term and short-term. So my long-term goal maybe, well, obviously is to pass, but maybe you actually break it down and say, I'd like to cover this much in Campbell. I'd like to do this many, you know, practice exams or whatever, and make your short-term goals. And sometimes that's what it takes for me to realize, okay, in order to actually go through this many chapters you know, in a month or whatever, it's going to take me this long. Do I actually have that time? And then it's kind of a piece of, okay, well, maybe I should 
say no to certain things? Or maybe are these things that are very important? And if I say no, they're going to, you know, ruin my mental health too, right? And it sort of allows you to really take a look at what is important, what is not, what can I cut out, what can I keep in? But as formal as it seems, goals are just a nice way of keeping you accountable again. And, and that's what I do actually with my mentees. When we first start, I'm like, what are your goals for this you know, relationship, for this program? What are you hoping to achieve for yourself? Let's actually write it down so that if a few you know, meetings from now or a couple months from now, let's go back and look at what you said back then and make sure, because it's just so easy to get stuck in the day-to-day hustle and bustle and the grind of, okay, I'm there. But if you don't pause and look at, is this really working? You, again, may not be working as efficiently as you could be. And who doesn't love crossing off a goal, right? I mean, I'm the queen of adding a household task I already did just so I can cross it off. You're motivated. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about this, I think, probably in season one at this point, maybe in season two as well. But going off of like what Cameron's saying, like if you know how long relatively it's going to take you to finish a chapter, like you're going to find that out pretty early on in your studying, right? Something that Sheila and I did in our study group was we knew we both celebrate Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of those wintertime holidays. We flipped around our study schedule. So we were doing shorter chapters, some things that maybe didn't require as much, like either things we knew or didn't require as much sitting down and reading. So then that way we had the time to still spend time with our families during those holidays that were really important to us. Um, So it's really just even structuring it like that. That was not how we set up our study program initially. But then as we got going through, we're like, you want to know what this switch is going to be a necessary switch for us. And, you know, it's all that work-life balance, right? Where we were saying yes to the things that were important, saying maybe not to the things that weren't as important and just made it work for us and our schedules too. It goes back to me of that accurate self-reflection. If you say, okay, well, actually I'll have time off of work so I can do double the chapters in this break, you know, whatever. If you're, are you being optimistic or are you being realistic? You don't, they're not, you know, mutually exclusive, but it is sort of being reflecting with yourself and saying, is that something I I can do? I want to do, I should do, right? Instead of just looking at it as the minutes and the time and I can fit it all in. It's more thinking, okay, realistically, I know what my family is like. I know, you know, I'm going to be traveling. Do I do better when I'm in a new space or not? And so I think that it's all part of that being realistic and honest with yourself, not necessarily combating optimism, but we got to find that balance in there, you know, somewhere. (laughs) And we reiterate that everybody's different, but I'm still going to go with like, this to me is a classic marathon analogy. I just don't think you should ever tell yourself like, I'm going to double up on anything. I think you find a way to just plug through every single week and do that because that is just better. If you have a week that is light and easy and you're just like, that was great. Awesome. Take an extra walk. Take some time. The thought of, oh, I have this or this extra time. I'm going to double up. I'm going to do extra. It's never going to, again, I it's not never, but like, I just don't think that that's a realistic way to approach this exam. I think you have to let the ebb and flow happen. And again, that's going back to that discipline and that consistency and that kind of just 
plugging away. I think about it when I did Ironman. I was never fast, never, never, never. But I have a very amazing capacity to always move forward and to never stop moving. So if that's what I took with me on this test, I'm like, think about it. It's hard. It's not fun. But you just can't stop moving forward. And it's just move forward at a pace you can maintain. Yeah, I totally forgot to mention one sort of mental component, good and bad, like an additional sort of stressor piece, not stressor, but I did um, the second time around, I had mentioned, you know, my work hours dropped and things, which is when you're making less money, it's a terrible time to say, I'm going to invest in this exam, (laughs) you know, because it's not a, it's not a cheap endeavor, right? Like you're investing in yourself financially and in your future. I was fortunate enough, I applied actually for a scholarship with NABPT, they offered $1,000 to people looking to clinical specialization. And I think it was a really great for me because they ask you to submit like an essay, basically saying, how are you going to use this to better, you know, the community around you? And it really made me think about why everything now, right, is going back to your why. We've all heard that a few times, especially combating burnout is remembering why you're here. And so having to actually physically go through justifying why I I deserve to take this test and why I deserve to have this designation was really helpful and kind of boosting up my confidence. But then there was also this piece of like, oh my gosh, they've invested a thousand dollars in me and I can't let everybody down. You know, it could have sort of (laughs) crushed me, but it also gave me a little bit of faith of like, hey, this group has read what you have to say and they have faith in you. And there are people that back you and and believe in you. And so I tried really hard not to let it, you know, the pressure get to me, but it was this nice boost of, yes, why are you here? We believe in that. And this is going to go somewhere positive. So use, it's not just a test. It's not just, you know, the next check on your list of things you're supposed to accomplish in order to feel like you're doing what you have to do to advance in your career. Right. Cause I, I don't think this is something that everybody needs to do. Right. For me, it was a beautiful launching point. I got to get it, my foot in the door for teaching. And that is so, so rewarding. And it's been so helpful because I'm not just teaching one student in my clinic what I do day to day. I'm teaching a large group of students about things they're going to have to apply across the board. And it really gave me good perspective for that. So I think, you know, even if you're not applying for a scholarship, write down a little bit. Why am I doing this? What? Why am I deserving of this thing? What am I going to do with it? How is this going to better me and the people around me? And I think that's a nice way to stay grounded in in your why. That's like going back to Peloton, Sheila. They always say that. What's your why? Yep. Peloton we're still again, looking if you for that sponsorship. If you want to sponsor us, Peloton, we're we are here and ready for you. <laughs> but I think that that's such a good point too, because you know, I'm a part of so many groups on Facebook with different pediatric therapists, and I see the PCS exam come up a lot. And I see a lot of comments about people saying it's not gonna get you more money. No one really cares in the end. You know what? Probably not wrong. And I know Maybe most of our listeners here are all taking the PCS. So I this isn't a moment of discouragement, it's a moment of empowerment because it isn't going to get you any of those things probably, but the process is going to give you a lot more than that. And I am so thankful. I love it. I'm always the person cheering people on and encouraging people to take it on the Facebook group against what a lot of other people are saying, because it is such a beautiful process. That's why Sarah and I created the podcast. Both of us were so scared to lose all of the amazing information. We just wanted to keep reviewing and remembering and learning and growing and 
growing with other people, right? Like a bunch of like-minded people listen to us because they want to grow and be better. And that we are creating a whole group of pediatric physical therapists that are just knowing more and doing better. It's really pushing, like you said, the audience is those studying for the test, but I'm using this now as a resource for my students. So they're out on clinical rotations. And I'm like, hey, go to that case files recap. Go ahead and listen to it. especially, you know, when you're on clinical rotations, sometimes you have to drive a longer way or you're far, you know, and I'm like, if you have all this time to kill on your commute, right? Again, I'm in LA, it's never easy, but it's one of those things I'm like, this is a great tool for anybody just to even pick and choose little chunks of what they're doing. Or if you're in a job that you're not super thrilled with and you're wondering, gosh, what is school-based therapy really like? Like what kind of things would I be seeing? How would that approach? Like now we have this other additional tool for you to kind of dip into things that aren't in your day-to-day repertoire. So I, I'm very thankful for both of you for doing this, you know, beyond the BCS prep, but just kind of to open the world of pediatrics and make it a little bit more accessible to anybody really. Absolutely. We love that. Yeah, we that we appreciate that, Cameron. Thank you. Cameron, do you have any last final thoughts for our listeners that you want to leave them with before we kind of wrap up our discussion today? You know, I wish I was this like amazingly profound person with great advice. And I don't know that I necessarily am, but I do think it's just a lesson in being confident in yourself, know your why, sometimes roadblocks happen, right? I did not anticipate failing this exam. It did not feel great. I, you know, there was a lot of negative self-talk that could have happened, but ultimately it's about you finding the value in yourself and recognizing that something like this, ultimately for me, it, it made me stronger. I, I am very proud to say the second time around, I knocked that exam out of the water. I did not pass by a few points. I did not get by with the skin in my teeth. Like, you know, I, I earned that spot and it feels so much better this second time around. And it feels like I've earned it and I know what I'm doing. So just hitting that one roadblock, everybody's going to fail a practical. Everybody's going to fail an exam. Everyone's going to make mistakes. And we know all of that is learning opportunities, right? We know motor learning itself. You need errors to correct, right? And so I think it's just taking that piece of, even if things are not ideal, initially do not let that discourage you and, and stay grounded in sort of your own worth and why you're here. Absolutely. And that's great advice because honestly, the one thing that I really like about having you on is you're a real person, right? Like you're not just like a figment or a person where it's like, you know, I know this person who didn't pass the first time, but the second time they passed with flying colors. Like you are real here sharing your experience with our listeners to be like, hey, this happened and look at how much stronger you are from it and how it did not knock you down notches in your career. It just basically accelerated you to where you are now, you know, and you look at how accomplished you are now and look at how much you're doing and to look at, you know, six years ago or whenever, however many years ago it was where it's like, you know, that wasn't my finest moment, but I recognized why it occurred and I bettered myself from it. I just think it's really valuable for our listeners. And we're so proud you persevered. You did such a great job. I know. I feel good about it. One of my colleagues, um, I was like, shout out to Dr. Dustin Willis, but he tells his students all the time, like, if it's meant for you, it won't miss you. So it's one of those things. It's like, if this, this is really where I belong. So even though it didn't happen right now, it's the, the timing wasn't there. It wasn't the time, but it's not going to miss me. If this is really where I need to be, I will find my way there, you know? So I think for people to have that faith too, 
if, if this is your journey, it's not going to go away. It's just going to be an alternate route, you know? <laughs> yeah. Your students are so lucky to have you. I mean, I just think that sometimes it's real, this whole process, the, everything, the PCS or even PT school, all of these things are such a challenging place at times. And so sometimes it's really great when our professors and our mentors have real life experience to say, hey, it's cool. You got this. None of you're gonna you're gonna get through this. No, and I I feel no. like we're the classic examples of people that think we have to be. And I think providing that realness of life is really such a strong component to everything. Yeah. Well, thank you both for letting me sort of share my story. Hopefully, it helps somebody. Not I don't wish failure upon anyone. So if you if you pass the first time around, fantastic. <laughs> but, but don't but let that be. We thwarted some of the the common maybe early errors, and maybe we've just been able to give people a better roadmap to get themselves on track and to understand. You know, sometimes through other people's experiences, we can better adjust our own path and our own course. And so if that provides that for people, I mean, that's why we're so thankful you came on to share your story, because again, we don't, we don't want people to fail either, but if we can help you course correct a little bit earlier and maybe just give you a little bit of a better roadmap towards success, hey, let's do that. Yes. More than happy to share for the betterment of others. All right. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on today. Just as a reminder, we ended up releasing these episodes a little bit earlier on because we thought that the first two episodes were so valuable for you guys who are just signing up for the test and who are really getting going on their studying that we didn't want to hold this information from you. We wanted to give you guys all of this information. So it's kind of just a way to set you guys up, get your minds flowing, get your study process kind of started. Our content episodes will be released in September. So wherever you guys are now, whether you are just getting all of your materials all together, whether you are reapplying for the exam, if you didn't pass it last year or in years past, um, or if you're you know, just getting a study group started. We wanted you guys to have these resources early on. Reminder that for this season, we are going to have people subscribe for extra episodes and content. So we will have a bonus episode a week. So if you guys want access to that bonus episode, you can subscribe to us and we'll provide information for you guys on how to subscribe there. And then just a reminder to find us on Facebook and Instagram. Those are our two main mediums. You can also email us at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. If anybody has questions or if you have other things you want to talk about, um, questions as you get going with your study process. And our um, and website we'll... this year. And oh, yeah. Our... We got a website this year. <laughs> yeah, our new website this year, pushingpediatrics.com. Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program, but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription, or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page. Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today. 
Thank you for tuning in to Pushing Pediatrics today. We hope you found the information shared valuable and applicable to your test preparation and daily practice. Remember, success is a journey and we're committed to supporting you every step of the way. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your colleagues. Until next time, you've got this.